What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you'll find all of our content throughout the rest of the offseason heading into 2024 as well. Whether it be a podcast, an article, news and notes, we're putting a poll out there, updates to the site, really any baseball-related content that we do share out, that I share out, we will put out there at EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you guys are following along over there. If you're not somebody who uses social media, please do go to SportsEthos.com. You guys will get all that same great content over there. But today we are going to pull a little bit of an audible, as I am known to do. I'd intended on starting the week off with starting pitchers and just going through the whole week of starting pitchers, but I've changed it up a little bit because I, I mentioned last week on Friday, um, well, we talked Friday at length about a lot of the major names that had moved around last week about some big news that there was. We talked about the injury to Max Scherzer. We talked about the Tyler Glass now trade. We talked about Jung Hoo Lee signing. Some of the bigger news, but I don't want to just throw away some of that smaller news that we did have from last week as well. So today is our opportunity to look at some of those moves that didn't necessarily fly under the radar, but they weren't exactly you know star players moving around. So we didn't talk about them Friday, but we are going to talk about them here. We're going to get into Lourdes Gurriel Jr. re-signing with the Diamondbacks. We're going to talk about a trio of moves made by the Kansas City Royals. We'll talk Tyler Molly, and then we will talk about Jack Flaherty as well. But let's start with Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Going back to Arizona, there had been talk about maybe a Toronto reunion. I know, I think it was the Mets were also interested. There was a couple of teams that were interested in Gurriel's services, but he is going back to Arizona. I believe it is $42 million for a uh, three-year deal, so you're looking at $14 million annually for Gurriel. It feels like a very reasonable deal. Now, he is 30 years old. He has had a bit of an up-and-down career overall. But you're looking at a guy who generally averages close to 20 home runs. He's a career 279 hitter. You know, he had a very, very strong start to the year, and then he did kind of tail off a little bit. But that still ended up with 24 homers, 82 ribbies, five steals, and a 261 batting average. He's a very, very solid offensive player. Defensively, not so much. He's got a very good arm, but in the field, I can say this from watching him in Toronto for whatever it was, five years in Toronto. Um, defensively speaking, he is not the greatest, but this kind of deal, you know, he's going to be starting every single day out there for them in Arizona. Now, coming into last year, I was a little bit confused by them getting Gurriel. They brought in Kyle Lewis. They already had such a such a log jam, it seemed, in the outfield that I didn't really understand why they were bringing in a guy like Gurriel to begin with. It does seem to be a little bit more clear, though, this year. It'll be Corbin Carroll in left. It'll be Alec Thomas in center. It'll probably be Jake McCarthy and Lourdes Gurriel kind of splitting, I think, DH and uh, right field opportunities at this point. Gurriel is slotted in as the designated hitter. But, I mean, if you look at last year, he played 95 games in left. He was a DH 50 times. So I think he'll get into the lineup one way or the other. Um, but it might sometimes come as a DH. It might sometimes come as the left fielder. I think it'll be kind of maybe not an even split there, but I do think they're going to try Jake McCarthy again in the outfield, even though last year it was kind of, eh, did not go so well, I guess we could say, especially compared to what he did in 2022. We kind of thought he was going to really break out. Uh, this past year was nothing, nothing along those lines. He was in the minor leagues for a good chunk of the season. But they are going to give him a chance, and that will be where maybe Gurriel is going to lose a couple of at-bats. He should still be able to get up to, you know, 550 to 600 range of at-bats, I would say. Maybe 600 is pushing it, but like 550, I think you can reasonably expect from Gurriel. 
The early projections for him are pretty solid. Steamer has him for 19 homers, 75 ribbies, 69 runs, four steals, and a 272 batting average. I think that he is fine, right? He's not somebody that's really going to blow you away. He's just one of those kind of stabilizing guys you can get a little bit later on in the outfield. Good batting average, decent power. He's going to steal a couple bases for you. The price right now on Lourdes Gurriel is 236. His minimum pick is 186, maximum is 295. You're generally getting him in the mid 200s. No problem at all with that, right? He's in a very good lineup. He's projected to bat, as of now, seventh. I'm not sure how that's going to end up shaking out uh, once the year gets going. I think he did kind of move around the order a little bit last year. Uh, let me just pull that up a little bit, actually, because I can't remember. Th- their order at times can be kind of strange the way they move guys around. And yeah, Guriel was in the two, three, four, five, six, and eight, and nine hole at different parts of last season, mostly in the fifth hole and third. Those were the places where he was predominantly in the order. I don't know that he's going to be batting seventh a lot of the time. I think he's probably more of a middle-of-the-lineup guy, and you can still expect solid run and RBI numbers. The home runs, you know, he did have five in 2022, but that was a you know pretty big anomaly, getting back up to 24 this year, which was a career high. I don't know that he's going to build on that necessarily and give you 30, but I think he's a guy you can probably pencil in for 20 homers, five steals, and a 270-ish average. And at that point in the draft, I think you're getting a pretty solid bargain on Gurriel. Maybe the price goes up a little bit, because that's generally what we're looking at here. Uh, when a guy signs, his price goes up around, sometimes two rounds, sometimes five rounds. It really depends on the team and everything. Now, he's staying with the same team, so it's probably not going to make uh, a huge splash in terms of the ADP difference. But even then, uh, people sometimes can get it in the back of their head, like, oh, the team just gave this guy you know, good money. I'm going to draft him maybe a little bit earlier than I normally would have just because the team is showing that faith in him. Maybe I'll show that faith. I'm not saying everybody's going to do that, but there might be some rooms where Gurriel slips into the top 200 now. Again, not really expecting it, but just something to keep an eye on. He's not like a guy I'm pushing up necessarily to the point where like, oh, he's going in the top 200s. I need to take him in the top 200s. I think if he falls to you, mid 200s, 250, 240 kind of range, and you're in need of an outfielder, then he's not really going to hurt you anywhere. But I wouldn't be pushing him up uh, drastically high either. I think where he's going is probably f- relatively reasonable. Um, let's talk about a couple of these guys at the Royals sign, though. I kind of poo-pooed it on Twitter the other day, and I got a bit of blow, a uh, bit of blowback from some certain people in the Kansas City area. They were not thrilled with my assessment, saying this doesn't really move the needle. These moves for the Royals, they're still probably going to lose 95 games. That was what I said because you know they've made a couple moves. We're going to talk about it here. Michael Walker, Hunter Renfro, Seth Lugo. Those are you know okay players. But you're talking about a team that lost 106 games last year. You're adding a couple of depth pieces. I just think people need to keep their expectations kind of in check. <clears throat> now, Michael Walker at times last year was excellent. He ended up with 14 wins. He ended up with a 322 ERA. And honestly, there was a couple of my teams where I would not have been as competitive as I was if it wasn't for Michael Walker. He was excellent. But he was also pretty damn lucky. He had a 266 BABIP, which is about 40 points lower, 35, 40 points lower than what he's usually averaging. That's going to suppress some base hits. That's going to lead to fewer runners getting on base. That's going to lead to fewer people hitting home plate, right? That's just the way it works. Last couple of years, he's allowed really low BABIPs. Don't know how sustainable that is, but he has well outperformed his expected numbers. 332 ERA and then 322 ERA in each of the last two seasons. You're talking about 47 starts. The XFIP is over four. The FIP is over four. The XERA is well over four. I just don't know that there's that much really room to grow for Waka. You know, the, the Sierra, which is the one I really like to look at these days, is 4.43. You're not talking about a guy who strikes out a lot of batters. He's very average in terms of strikeout minus walk numbers. And now he's pitching for a terrible Kansas City team. 
So from a real-life point of view, yes, you're getting some innings eaters, which is all I guess Kansas City really cared about. But at the same time, I don't know if it really matters. When you're a team that knows you're not going to compete, who gives a shit who is eating these innings? Now you're paying you know, decent money to Waka and to the other guy we're going to talk about, Seth Lugo, $15, $16 million a year. For what, exactly? To try and come third in the Central? I understand having to put out you know, an effort for your fan base and showing them, like, we're signing players, we're signing players, but it almost feels reminiscent of what the Angels did down the stretch. Oh, yeah, we're serious. We're bringing in Randall Gritchuk and we're bringing in C.J. Crone. It's like, eh, are you really serious or do you just want to, you know, try and save a little bit of face with certain people? And I, I, I don't want to hate on the teams for spending money because that's what you should do, right? I just think that people who are saying, well, the Royals are looking really sneaky right now, they're not. They're not going to do anything for you. That bullpen is a mess. Starting rotation has a lot of questions still. And I don't think that lineup is very good. And I don't know that Michael Walker or any of the guys we're going to talk about today really move that needle. Can you maybe expect, like, you know, solid volume from Waka? 28, 30 starts? Probably. If you look at the projections from Steamer, it's a 467 ERA. Is that really? I mean, throw away the fantasy side of it. Is that really what you want to be paying for? You know, a 135 whip is what he's projected for and a 4.67 ERA. You're not getting great strikeouts. You're not getting great walk rate. It's just meh. He's just not somebody that I'm ever really going to want to be drafting this year unless the price just falls to a stupid degree, and I don't think it will because he had a good season last year. Now, where is he right now? Is he not? No, here he is. 271 is the ADP on Michael Walker. If you need starting pitching depth, I guess it's not terrible, but I just, again, I I don't think he's going to do anything other than make a 4.4 ERA He's not going to win a lot of games in Kansas. There's nothing, there's no, you know, defining trait there for fantasy where you can say, this is what he's going to carry me with. He had a good season last year. A lot of the fantasy value was those 14 wins, which are very random. So I just can't look at him and say, from a fantasy point of view, from a real life point of view, that I think this moves the needle a lot in any direction. Now, the other pitcher they got, Seth Lugo, I think is I think is better. I think Seth Lugo is a better pitcher than Michael Waka. He got the three years while Waka got the two years. Lugo was really good last season, and his numbers were a little bit more sustainable, I would say. Uh, those expected numbers were uh, excuse me, were pretty much all under 4, 376 XFIP, 383 FIP. If you look at a Sierra, it was 397. I can get around that a little bit. Strikeout rate, a little bit higher than Waka's. The walk rate, a little bit lower. So overall, you're just looking at a slightly better pitcher. I don't really think, again, that Lugo is going to make a huge difference, and the projections have him for a 436 ERA, 134 whip. It feels like just an, uh, a fancy kind of innings eater who might be able to have a, you know, a sub-4 ERA, but it wouldn't be like a massive fantasy asset kind of thing with Seth Lugo. He might just be a guy that you can kind of have at the back of your rotation or on your bench that you start when it's a favorable matchup inside the division to start week. But I just don't know that he is somebody that I would be starting with confidence every single week. I don't think he can, right? I mean, Seth Lugo, even though he has had good seasons the last couple of years, is he really somebody that we think is going to be able to build on that at this point? I personally don't, right? You're talking about a guy who is 34 years old. He's had a good couple of seasons, but he's never been a dominant pitcher. He's going to a shitty team again, same kind of deal. I just don't know that it's really going to make much of a difference at all um, for his fantasy value. It might, I mean, if anything, it'll make it worse, right? You're going to take away some of those win opportunities, which already weren't really coming last year. Despite having a 357 ERA and 26 starts, he got eight wins. Wins are random, but you're definitely taking away some of your chances when you go to pitch for a team like Kansas City. Lugo is going in the same range as Waka. Ten picks later, 281 is the ADP with a minimum of 230. Or excuse me, 281 ADP, 231 minimum, 363 maximum. 
I don't really have much of a, a different opinion here, I guess. Like, I do like Lugo a little bit more, so I would prefer to take him over Waka, especially because it's 10 picks later. But, again, I don't think either one of these guys is going to come onto your fantasy team and really do much outside of maybe in a 15-team league or in an AL only, be able to eat some, you know, quote-unquote quality innings for you because there's really not that many other options. But for most of you guys playing in your standard 10- and 12-team leagues, these are not guys you're going to have to worry about. Like I said, if there's a week where you're seeing, oh, it's a two-step and we're getting Oakland and we're getting Pittsburgh – or something like that, and you want to stream them, then I'm totally cool with it. But I'm not going out of my way to draft either of these guys this season. If they fall, they fall. But even then, like it'd have to be a decent little fall for Waka. I think Lugo, you know, I'll take him at ADP maybe once or twice, but I'm not going to be very excited about it. It would be in a position of I need starting pitching depth, and I don't want to be in a position where I have to take either of these guys. Not that you'd ever have to, but a position where I'd say maybe those innings look appealing. I don't want to set myself into a place where those innings would be appealing. Uh, I want to try and set myself up for success with a few pitchers, at least four or five at this point of the draft that I feel really confident about where I don't need to be taking a guy who's pitching for a bad team, both guys who are kind of overshooting their metrics a bit, Waka more than Lugo, but still I just I can't really get behind either of them at this point. Let's talk about that third piece that they acquired, though, and that's Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is kind of an interesting one for me, but he did have a pretty terrible season. Um, you know, there's been a couple of seasons in the past, and not even that long ago. You're talking literally 2022, 2021, 2019. You're talking a 30 home run bat. You're talking a guy who's not going to necessarily kill you in the batting average department. He's been a 240 hitter for his career. You could see a lot worse in today's baseball, especially for a power hitter. But there's not a lot that I love either. You know, he went to 20 home runs this season which was the lowest he's ever had over the course of a full season. 140 games, I'm calling that a full season. He had 60 runs, he had 60 RBI. Not terribly great, and not something that I'm really going to project to go up too much in Kansas City. In fact, the projections have him going down. They don't think he'll play as much. They think everything will kind of go down a little bit. Um, he had a 233 batting average last year, which was okay, but a 92 WRC+. plus. He was a below-average offensive player last season. And now you're telling me you're going to be going to Kansas City and trying to figure out in that lineup uh, how to you know, get some extra runs and RBIs to your stat total. I don't know that there's going to be that many to go around. You know, I've talked about how I think Bobby Witt is kind of recession-proof in that way. That It doesn't matter who's around him. There are certain players in baseball. You could put them on the worst team, the best team. It doesn't matter. They're going to produce. Don't know that you could say that about a lot of these other guys on the Royals outside of Bobby Witt and maybe like Vinny Pasquantino. The top few in the lineup, it looks okay. Melendez leading off, I think, is still kind of questionable. But Witt, Salvador Perez, Vinny P, and Hunter Renfro is not bad. And Renfro, actually, if he's healthy, could be able to maybe get himself like 80 RBI. But I think that's probably absolute best, best case scenario. The projections don't even think he'll be an everyday player. They think he'll kind of play about half the time, 97 games. They think he'll give you 17 homers, one steal, and a 250 batting average. Be about a league average bat, essentially. And I just can't get behind it. I mean, you're not paying a high price for him, which, I mean, I guess it's yeah, and, and it comes to this point with every player. You're not paying a high price, so why not? But there are probably, I mean, again, it's pick 600, so I don't have a massive problem with taking him here, but I just don't see there being much upside in Hunter Renfro. Again, pick 600, you can't really hurt yourself. This is draft champions territory, a draft and hold league where you, you take 50 players at the beginning of the year, you have no in-season moves. Then, I mean, sure, I guess, if you need a little bit of outfield depth, potential outfield depth. But I don't think he's somebody that you can really look at and say he's going to be a regular in the middle of that lineup. There's a chance for 100 ribbies. There's a chance for 30 homers. Like In an absolute perfect world, 100th percentile, maybe you could see that happening for Renfro. But considering the skills decline, considering the fact that the projections are kind of wary on even like what kind of playing time we'll see, 
and the fact that people aren't even drafting him, right? People are not really taking any note. Sometimes you ignore that and think the market's off or whatever, but sometimes you got to take a look and say, well, if the whole market's ignoring this guy, maybe there's a reason for that. And I think Hunter Renfro is one of those guys that I just can't really truly get behind. Again, if it's a draft champions and you're getting to this point, you need an outfielder, it's not going to kill you. But I really think that the production is going to be fairly limited over the course of the whole season in that lineup. I just don't think there's a lot of upside in taking Hunter Renfro. Let's talk about Jack Flaherty. I have not been a fan of Jack Flaherty for a while now. I think he's kind of, honestly, it's, they're different pitchers, but I think you can kind of make a comparison to, like, Mike Soroka in the fact that we're pretty much looking at, like, one great season and using that to justify years and years of terrible seasons. Soroka was injured. It was different, different case. I mean, Flaherty's also had some injuries, but it's the same kind of thing, right? One good season that everybody's chasing for years and years after. And for Flaherty's case, that's 2019. And that did hold a little bit more weight for a lot of us because 2019 was a crazy offensive year, and Jack Flaherty still gave you a 275 ERA that season. Still put up a 19, or excuse me, 29% K rate, 7% walk rate. It was his best season in the bigs, but we've kind of been chasing that every year since, and it's gotten really bad over the last couple of seasons. Those strikeouts that were close to 30 early in his career, just barely over 20 at this point. It was a 22.8 K percent this year, and it was over a big sample size, 144 innings. The walks were 10.2%, which was bad. After being bad last year, again, over a small sample size in 22, he missed a lot of time. But we're seeing walk rates over 10% each of the last two seasons. The actual results this year were a 499 ERA. He had a 510 X ERA, 436 FIP, 436 X FIP, and his Sierra was 453. We're looking at a very middling pitcher in Jack Flaherty at this point. I don't think that there is going to be just a, aha, gotcha, I'm now back to 2019 levels for Flaherty, I think he just kind of stinks. Like, I just don't think he's a very good pitcher uh, at this point in time, and I don't think he really ever will be again, right? Those skills have been deteriorating for years. He's not somebody who's shown that he can really stay healthy year after year. I just don't think that he is somebody that's going to have any value at all for fantasy purposes. People talk about Detroit, and they say, it's a pitcher's park. It's a pitcher's park. It's a pitcher's park. And that's because that's all they've known. I tweeted this out maybe a week ago that Comerica, it's still pitcher-friendly, but it's not you know, the Oakland Coliseum anymore, where it's like, you know, up for debate as maybe the most pitcher-friendly park in baseball. It's, based on park factors, probably about the 20th best park to hit in. So it's, you know, it's still (coughs) pitcher-friendly-ish, excuse more towards the pitcher, but it's also not this park that we can say like, oh, yep, it's just, you know, balls are not leaving. There's going to be no home runs allowed at Comerica because it's this pitcher-friendly park. No, they brought the walls in. And that did have an impact over the first year. Now, you can't make full judgments about park factors based on one year. That's why StatCast, the, the standard, if you go to park factors on StatCast, is a three-year average. Because there are different things that change. It might just be one year where there's like a lot of wind or something. I don't know. There are different changes. You kind of need to look at a bigger sample size than one year. But in that one year, which is all we have to look at right now, Comerica became a lot more hitter-friendly. Not to say that it's a hitter park but it's not the same pitcher's park that we were used to. So these guys, like Flaherty, who has a bit of a home run problem in his career, 1.2 homers per nine, I, I don't know that you can necessarily say, like, oh, that's just gone now in Detroit. Like, it's probably not going to be a huge problem necessarily, but it's also not, like, you can't just say that Detroit is this pitcher's park anymore. It's more friendly to pitchers, um, but it's not what it used to be at the same time. So for these signings, for Flaherty, for Maeda, for any Detroit pitchers, you can't look at them in that same light that you probably would have a couple of years ago. 
Now, that's just one of the issues with Flaherty. There are so many. You could almost like go through a whole episode just talking about him. I just don't think he's very good. I think we're chasing what was a good season from five years ago at this point. That's probably never going to come back. Now, if you wanted to take a chance on Flaherty, price is very cheap, 570 And it ranges from the 260s to about, you know, there are drafts where he's not taken in a gladiator. So his actual draft range is 267 to 497 I just don't know if there's really any. I mean, especially in the 200s, if you're taking him in the 200s, there's no chance. Most of the time, just looking at the scatter plots that we have here, he's going between picks 300 and 400, sometimes dropping to 450 kind of range. I just don't know that even at that price, I want to take Jack Flaherty. I just don't think there's really any upside. Bad team. Park is okay. Um, The skills are not great in and of themselves. I just don't think there's a lot of upside in Jack Flaherty at this point. People will still try and see it. If you squint close enough, you'll try and see it. But in reality, we're talking about a guy who's probably going to be very close to these projections, which is a 441 ERA, which is a 138 whip, which is a 21% K rate with a 9% walk rate. It's just not very good at all. But let's talk about the last guy we are going to mention today, and that's Tyler Molly. Tyler Molly has agreed to a two-year deal with the Rangers. Now, Tyler Molly went through Tommy John surgery, so he's not going to pitch at all this season. There's a chance, there's been some talk, that maybe he comes back at the very end of the season. I think that you kind of just have to ignore that. And maybe if he comes back in August or September and gives you four or five starts, then sure. But for 2024 fantasy purposes, we're not going to talk a lot about Tyler Molly, but I do think it is kind of an interesting signing because this Texas Rangers team, it does really fit their profile. You take these guys who have pretty decent injury histories, <clears throat> guys who have been hurt, guys who are missing time for whatever reason, and they go and they acquire these guys. DeGrom, Scherzer, John Gray, Andrew Heaney, um, I think Dane Dunning's had a couple of things. Like, there's just so many guys that they have brought into the organization that they get cheaper, probably than a lot of other teams would, you know, think, because there is a lot of injury history there. And Mali is another example. Two years, twenty-two million dollars. You're getting him for eleven million dollars a season for a guy who, you know, is a pretty solid pitcher. A lot of seasons with his ERA under four. You got a very good strikeout rate. Generally, pretty decent control. You're talking about like. A 16, 17% K minus walk rate, which is pretty solid. And again, the Rangers aren't signing him to be an ace. They're signing him to be like a number three or a four guy in that rotation. And I think, honestly, it's a very smart contract for them. They let him rebuild over the course of the year. They're not paying a lot of money. Maybe you get him back for a stretch run, but either way, you're getting him for that $11 million price tag in 2025. I think that it's a really good signing for the Rangers. I do want to say, as a side note, that the Tyler Molly trade from Cincinnati is honestly one of the worst in baseball history already it is absolutely dreadful dreadful for minnesota they gave away christian Encarnacion strand and spencer steer in exchange for tyler molly who pitched uh, tyler molly through nine games as a minnesota twin now to add insult to injury there, Stephen Hajar, who was the other piece of that trade, was then used to acquire Will Benson. So this trade, and Will Benson, if you guys remember from this show, from your own teams, Will Benson was great this year. So they got Benson, Christian Encarnacion, Strand, and Spencer Steer for nine games of Tyler Molly. It's got to go down as one of the worst trades in history. Even though Molly is a good pitcher, it's just an unheard of price to pay. And especially looking so bad just a year and a half out, it looked bad pretty much instantly, but it looks terrible now. Either way, I think Molly's going to be a really good option in 2025, and I think it's a really smart signing by the Rangers. They just showed us this year, you know, these rotations that are made up of kind of spare parts almost, guys that have 
got injury histories and you know Avaldi I missed out on there's a lot of guys that were injured that they took chances on and it paid off so I don't know why they wouldn't go and try again uh, with that same kind of strategy but that'll do it for us here I like Malley, I really do, uh, but there's not much we can say about him because he's not going to really be pitching for the next year. Um, he will not be t- a part of our starting pitcher reviews or previews, but I still think that he's a solid, solid pitcher. But on that note, tomorrow we should get into SPs. Tomorrow we should get into our starting pitcher review. I want to have all the reviews done before the new year, and we're kind of running out of shows, honestly, on this side of the year, uh, including today we have 10 left in the year of 2023. So we are going to have to start to get on the move with starting pitcher reviews before January because once January starts, we're getting into team previews. That is what I'm going to be talking about, setting up guests right now for that, setting up a couple things. A lot of cool things are going to be going on here, so that's why go make sure you follow on the socials at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB, and SportsEthos.com. But also make sure you guys are subscribing to the podcast. I've mentioned this a few times on the show if you're not somebody who subscribes, it's a lot easier. It helps me because you guys are downloading the show every day. It boosts the numbers. It helps you because you don't have to go searching for it. It's just right there. You get a notification at the top of your screen. It just pops up. The show is there for you. It's a lot easier than searching for links on Twitter or Google or wherever it is that you guys usually do it if you're not subbed. So just a reminder, if you haven't done so, sub. And if you're feeling sweet on this Monday, leave us a nice rating and review. It really helped the algorithm to boost the show, help other people see it who might not normally see it. We're getting back into baseball season, folks. People are coming back. I can see it from the downloads. It's good to have you back. I know that everybody kind of goes away in October and November, but we are starting to boost up to our kind of regular numbers again at this point. So it's good to have you guys back. If you guys have been away, I understand. Go and check out the shows for the last couple months. We've reviewed every position. We've talked about all the major signings. We've talked about ADP targets and fades. We've done some ranking stuff. We've done all of it. So make sure you guys are getting caught up. But I'll leave you there. That's enough rambling for me. We'll talk starting pitchers tomorrow unless there is some earth-breaking news. But until then, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers.